Bitcoiners are the slave that broke free, went outside and saw that there's another world out there. And then he was faced with the moral dilemma. Do I just go and find other lions or do I go back in and try to help all the fiat shitcoiners and the altcoin shitcoins? Do I try to help them see the bigger part of the story? And if you read Plato's Allegory of the Cave, you'll find out that that slave that did find out the truth, when he went back into the, the cave, everybody had Stockholm Syndrome. They said, nah, thanks, but no thanks. Welcome to the Tucson Bitcoin Podcast. I'm really stoked on this conversation. I had on Dr. Jack Cruz and been uh, wanting him on the podcast for a while. He's just got some awesome takes on medicine and, you know, what's going on right now. And, you know, he's tuned in to what's happening where there is this elite group of people that are trying to preserve themselves at the expense of everybody else. And they exist and operate under this you know, belief system that they can just uh, take advantage of everybody and steal their assets and wealth and get away with it. And Bitcoin stands in the way of them doing that and is an incredibly empowering tool for us as individuals to fight back against these parasites. But yeah, we get into that. Uh, he does a good job in this conversation outlining, you know, the history of this uh, group or, um, you know, scattered individuals that have an agenda together. And, uh, you know, we talk a lot about what we can be doing to fight back and we just have to be unmanageable is what it comes down to. We have to make tyranny really expensive uh, for these uh, maniacs in positions of power. And yeah, um, so anyways, <laughs> we hit a lot of things that I'm really passionate about. Like I'm, I'm angry right now. You know, I'm not OK with my community getting destroyed. and I'm definitely not OK with them destroying my life and, and trying to manage everything and uh that's why i find bitcoin so powerful and uh it's it's beautiful to expand past that but yeah anyways i hope you enjoy this conversation well i'm really excited to have you on dr cruz really looking forward to this conversation hey no problem glad to be here with you so a little bit on my background uh I got my start in social work and behavioral health. And so I'm familiar with the healthcare system and how much of a mess that is. And so a lot of your uh, stuff, I really, really resonate. And I love your approach to, you know, describing Bitcoin as a, you know, decentralized system and, and how that relates to medicine and biology and take you know, a similar approach when I, you know, talk about Bitcoin, um, kind of from a psycho psychology standpoint, as far as, uh, you know, bad money really harms people and impacts their security. It doesn't allow them to, uh, you know, reach self-actualization or have stable relationships in their life. So yeah, I'm stoked to get into this with you. But yeah, how, yeah how, I mean, it, good. How, how did you get your start in Bitcoin? Well, I mean, as I told you before we came on air, is that uh, I teach uh, mitochondrial medicine. And for those in your audience who don't know, mitochondrial medicine is radically different than the medicine that most doctors uh, perform. I would tell you that allopathic medicine fun functions on RNA and DNA. Uh, RNA and DNA are kind of like, uh, the best way to put it is the blueprint for the human being. 
Uh, but it turns out there's another genome in our cells called mitochondrial DNA that very few people know about. And Bitcoiners will understand why I focus in on this area very quickly, because it goes back to a lot of things that Michael Saylor has talked about the last two years. Everything's about quantum thermodynamics. It's about how energy is transformed in the system from exterior to interior and that you make something useful for. For example, in El Salvador, we're taking geothermal energy now, getting rid of the IMF to create Bitcoin that goes directly on their treasury. That is an example of a thermodynamic process that's based around nature. Uh, well, it turns out mitochondrial medicine is exactly the same idea. It's whatever you can do to improve thermal inefficiency uh, and energy throughput leads to a better uh, outcome for the patient. And many times when you're able to do that, uh, you find that you're able to subtract out the middlemen. The middlemen in this equation are both hospital administrators, uh, the healthcare system like insurance companies, and the big one is big pharma. And if you can do that, you can actually make uh, medicine very effective. You could also lower its cost and at the same time teach people about the things that they really need to know about and not about the things they don't. You know, and it's kind of like if your glass is filled with beliefs, like the sun is toxic, my goal is to empty out some of the wine in your glass so that you can refill it with things that are tied uh, to nature's understanding about how things generally work on this planet. And Bitcoin does exactly the same thing when it comes to money. You know, and most people forget, you know, that Bitcoin comes down to property. Uh, it is about property rights. It's about the foundation of this country. People have forgotten that the, the, the basics of, of the United States goes back to King George and no taxation without representation. And property rights were you know, abused at that time. Well, the same thing is going on in our governments right now. And the craziest part of the story, how like Bitcoin and, and health really link. The number one cause of bankruptcy in the United States today is medical bankruptcy. That shouldn't be the case, especially when people are using, you know, insurance to, to offset the cost. It tells you that something fundamentally is broken in the system. And the way I like to, to describe it to Bitcoiners, it's kind of like most people understand what inflation is. It's, a, it's an invisible tax that requires no legislation to be applied to you. Well, it turns out that health insurance and the hospital lobby is exactly the same thing in medicine. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I like how you, like when you're talking, I think of Keynesian economics and how far from or detached from reality that is. No, it's true. I mean, and the problem is, you know, it's amazing to me that people haven't put these two concepts together and I really do believe that COVID brought this soup together. It, it, for the last two years, we've all collectively gone through our own little COVID experiment and, and perspective. I'm sure you out in Arizona have a totally different idea about what COVID is compared to my idea. But my idea is nuanced because I was in the system, outside the system, and then see COVID as part of a greater economic reset that's being brought on by the global elites. And I don't think it's just a two year story. I think this story goes all the way back, you know, decades. Um, I can take it back to 30 years after the formation of the Federal Reserve. And if you really wanna be a, a, a total student of history, 
This story really goes back to Benjamin Rush, who's one of the founding fathers, whose name is on the Declaration of Independence, when he tried to convince Thomas Jefferson to add something to the Constitution about medical tyranny. And lo and behold, 250 years later, it turns out Thomas Jefferson was wrong and Benjamin Rush was right. And the only thing that people remember about Benjamin Rush, unfortunately, was that he's got a medical school named in his honor in Chicago. Nobody realizes what he was trying to tell the early colonists, that if you don't protect people from this, this potentially could be used in many ways by a government entity against the people. And it took a long period of time for people to understand it. But I actually think the people at the BIS in Zurich, and I think the World Economic Forum people, actually paid more attention to Benjamin Rush's warnings than the rest of the people out here. Because if you look at their plan, their plan is, is a textbook example of how to use uh, medical tyranny to bring down a constitutional republic. Interesting. Yeah, it's uh, a lot of people made jokes recently that 1984 is being used as a playbook rather than a warning. Uh, so, so what could you go into a little bit of what is this playbook that Bank of International Settlements and, and W World Economic Forum are are going off of that Benjamin Rush warned us of? Yeah, well, you have to know a little bit about the history of the global elites. I think most of your listeners, because they're Bitcoiners know about uh, the Committee of 300. Those are the global elites before the World Economic Forum. Uh, it was a collective a group of people from rich families all over the world, predominantly from eight families. But one of the main families that was tied to this whole endeavor was the royal family, the Bilderbergs. And that's through the Bilderberg Foundation. And, and what happened is people through the centuries continued to try to realize they had lost their political power. And it really got bad for the royal family at the turn of the century during World War I, though, even though England was victorious in both of those wars. But people don't realize the Bolshevik Revolution, when it started, uh, killed uh, the czar of Russia and all of his family. What people, I think, have forgotten in history, you know, 100 years later, is that uh, Tsar Nicholas was cousins with Edward VII. Edward VII was the head of the House of Windsor. But when Edward VII, uh, I should say, ascended to the throne, it wasn't called the House of Windsor. It was called the House of Hasburg because they were German. And the really interesting part of the story was it wasn't popular to be German in England. And when the monarchy has German roots, like Queen Victoria uh, is tied to this family tree, people began to get a little bit uneasy. And that's when these global elites kind of went underground and names were dropped, things were changed. Uh, and this committee formed, this committee was tied to the East India Trading Company. And you know that the history of England, you're an American, so I know you learned this somewhere in, in, in Arizona when you were in third grade, that this company basically was the imperialist arm of the British Navy that went out and pillaged the uh, Indian continent for itself. That's how it created tremendous amount of money for the crown. One of the big things that it did do is it enslaved millions of people in the East, especially in China with the opium wars. 
and many of the, the drugs were funneled through uh, Silk Road, which is famous in Bitcoin lore. But most people don't realize where the name Silk Road came from. It actually has to do with the opium wars in Afghanistan and the Far East and how the royal family enriched themselves. And this went on and went on. Well, what happened in the early 20th century? Uh, when it wasn't popular to be German, after the Treaty of Versailles was signed in World War I, things tend to chill out for the royal family. Where did things percolate? Percolated it again in the 1930s. Why? Edward VII abdicated his throne in England because he wanted to marry divorcee from the United States. So what did that do? Queen uh, uh, Elizabeth, who rules now, her dad was brothers of Edward VII. He was thrust into being king when he didn't really want to be king. What did Edward VII do after he quit? He basically went back to Germany uh, and was very friendly with Adolf Hitler. And this was a real problem between the two wars because what had happened. And this ruffled the feathers of a lot of the global elite. Um, when Britain was drawn into World War II, and it was realized again that Germany was a problem. By this time, the royal family had changed their name to the House of Windsor to try to separate themselves from Germany. Uh, Edward VII also, at that time when he abdicated, had a chance to save Tsar Nicholas the first time. He didn't do that. He actually allowed him to be sacrificed. All these little things were lost in history. But what's the punchline for World War II? England, specifically the crown, won the war. They were on the right side of it, but they lost everything. In fact, I would tell you economically that the British Empire lost more in World War II than ever. Why? Because they went to, from having the most dominant navy to controlling the seas, to controlling trade, to controlling monetary finance. Literally in four years, everything changed and the United States, its colony, actually took over. It, it began to control just about everything. And as you know, after World War II, we got Bretton Woods. Bretton Woods kind of was the cement that sunk Churchill and the royal family ship. Now, <clears throat> from World War II all the way to today, most people in the United States, guys that are young like you, have always been told that the British family is just, you know, a rubber stamp. They're not really important. That's actually not totally true. They actually have a huge influence in the banking system uh, of the United Kingdom, still to this very day. And uh, if you want to see proof positive of that, you can see how much money they're paid every year by the English government, which on the surface makes no sense. Yeah. Then you begin to understand where their footprint is. Their footprint is in everything that has been linked back to the modern version of the Committee of 300, which is the World Economic Forum. And for those of you who don't know, Klaus Schwab is part of one of those eight families. And it turns out their goal was to figure out how to recreate the world that we were in prior to World War I. How could we make the, the bankers the most dominant part of the world, meaning that governments were immaterial. What did the, the, the British royal family prove in the last 70 years? 
you don't have to be the head of state to still control a country. You have to control the monetary system. And I think people know that. The flip side is the same thing is true in the United States. For those of you who don't know the history in the United States, famously, when J.P. Morgan bailed out the federal government with its multiple problems in the beginning of the 20th century, his father, who was a famous banker tied to the same group of people we're talking about, famously told him, whoever controls the money system of a country is effectively its ruler. So why did we get the Federal Reserve? It's because of J.P. Morgan and the guys who were the robber barons. They knew that if they could abscond control of money, that effectively they would rule. So here we have now two parallel experiments in finance, both on the British royal family side and the United States, where you can see this going. Ultimately, what happened when Bretton Woods failed in 71 was the, the uh, Committee of 300, or what I'd like to call the primordial soup of what the BIS and World Economic Forum were, decided to come up with a plan to infiltrate both the English government, the United States government, and all G20 countries with policies and politicians that would help them. So how did the game plan play out um, in England? That was easy because they already had a 70-year history from World War II to today. Um, it was set in place. But the United States is the big problem. And the reason why is we're supposedly a constitutional republic, and our founding documents and Bill of Rights makes it very, very difficult to go back to medieval times or feudalism, where you basically can harvest taxpayers as obedient idiot slaves that will pay you know, tithes to the state. So the plan was hatched that they would get a couple of these European elitists in high government positions. So in 1968, when Nixon ran, uh, we had the introduction of Henry Kissinger to the political world stage. Uh, simultaneously, Klaus Schwab began the World Economic Forum, first in 71 and then formalized it in 73. What these two gentlemen did is see to it that European and American policy continued to change and we weakened the American government from within. The first, first true uh, sign of Kissinger's power in those seven, eight years when he was Secretary of State is that he hired a guy named Alexander Haig, which I think some of you guys may remember. Most Bitcoiners are too old to remember what Alexander Haig's real job was. It was to get Nixon to resign, to make him think that this problem um, in the federal government at Watergate was a really big deal. And it really wasn't a big deal because politicians have been lying and cheating for eons. It's not something that would normally knock you out. But Kissinger told Haig to do something very unusual. He went to Nixon's biggest supporters in the Senate and actually fed them propaganda. This idea of propaganda began in 1928 with Edward Bernays' book called Propaganda. And this was a book written by a, a Jewish guy whose uh, information was taken by the Nazis in the 30s and then used in the Third Reich to actually flip a government the same way. Well, it turns out several parts of that playbook were used by Haig and Kissinger, and it was very effective because they got Nixon to resign. Many people in Bitcoin would normally say, hey, that's a good thing. Turns out it really wasn't a good thing for us going forward because was Kissinger 
and Haig intimately tied to the decision to get off the gold standard at that time? Yes, because they were in Nixon's year. Uh, what did we get when we got off of Nixon? Then we got uh, Gerald Ford. For those of you who don't know, Gerald Ford was a Michigan senator. He was handpicked by the industrial healthcare complex, I should say the industrial military complex. Why? Because what did he do right before he became president? He was part of the Warren Commission that made sure that the truth around the CIA's implications of JFK never came to light. So what was he? He was probably the first true Manchurian candidate for the global elites. Now, he did not make pass muster uh, via the American people. What happened then? Then we got Jimmy Carter. Everybody in the United States knows about Jimmy Carter's ascendancy, but you know, as a peanut farmer from Georgia. But what people don't remember is Kissinger at this time already started a think tank. What happened next? One of his pupils named Zig uh, Brzezinski, and the name should sound familiar. Why? Because his daughter is currently mainstream media on MSNBC. Zbig was a Polish immigrant who bought the whole line from Kissinger and from Schwab. And what did he institute? He was the guy that convinced the United States to orchestrate pulling Russia into Afghanistan for the first Afghan war. Why? This is when the Islamists, uh, specifically um, the Taliban and uh, Osama bin Laden were first radicalized. People don't realize that Zig made them friends in the United States by funding them with American cheap dollars. We created the enemy that we just went through a 20 year war with mm -hmm. our own guy. Now, when you understand this from the historical context that I'm trying to give you, you can see how devastating this would be to a constitutional republic. But this is the early years. The problem is what we're doing right now is what I, I do in medicine, in what we call morbidity and mortality con conference. When we want to find out why somebody died, you have to go back and take the pieces and parts apart to understand how we got to where we are in 19, I should say in 2021, when we just left a 20 year war that cost us trillions of dollars. Well, it started by these guys in the World Economic Forum changing foreign policy to, to really destroy the fabric of the Constitutional Republic. What's happened since? We've done it on the justice side, we've done it to the Joint Chiefs. Um, the, basically, I would tell you when Carter got out the first 10 years of Henry Kissinger and Klaus Schwab's policy was basically done to completely control the executive branch of government. The control of Congress also began right at the same time. Really, it started in the 60s, but that has been fully taken over as well. So you have two branches now of our government that have been slowly derided over a period of time. All the decisions have been made to make us stronger federally and weaker at a state level. So when you begin to see the changes in all the heads of state, I'm telling you, I want you to think about this the same way it went on in England, that, oh, the queen isn't that big a deal, it's parliament. Well, it turns out in the United States, the same message was being given slowly over decades, 
And what they were doing is eroding the power, both of Congress and the executive branch, and transferring that to all the alphabet suit, like the FDA, the FCC, you know, the military, and the CDC, all of those places got much more power in that 60 or 70 years. And that, that made the federal government um, um, less like a constitutional republic and much more like a monarchy with those two branches of government controlling it. So here we are now, um, what would fuel all this? The idea immediately that uh, Schwab and Kissinger hatched is if we could get the United States off the gold standard, that we could create cheap money over a period of time and just print. What have we seen economically? This is the story all Bitcoin is owned and I don't have, uh, understand and I don't have to get into it. But basically that's where MMMT uh, came from. And the belief now is completely opposite. All that belief system was started by the universities, specifically Harvard, Yale, Cornell. All of the Ivy League schools were completely retooled to fill up the, the halls of government. And those people, those academics and elites helped destroy the pillars of government that were set by the founding fathers. So here we are now, 2008, and the financial crisis comes. Did we bail out the taxpayers? No, we bailed out the bankers that are tied to these people that were in politics that were doing the dirty work of the World Economic Forum and the BIS. Why? Because we're back to the original thing, Tucson. What did it say? Whoever controls the money supply ultimately controls the government. But what you have to make sure is you have to control the industrial military complex in the United States. Who warned us about that on January 14, 1961? That was Eisenhower, five-star general. He said that it was coming. How did they do it? With this cheap money, they used defense contractors to separate them from the executive branch. Uh, and right now, that's the only thing that truly supports our money globally. Our money has not been worth anything, but most Bitcoiners focus in on this from, I think, the financial side, and they don't have the historical context of how these things all fit together. Because when you see it, then you begin to realize when you follow me on Twitter and you hear Jack tweet, you know, COVID was a compliance test for an economic reset. If you don't know some of this history, you'll think what I just told you is kind of crazy. And then when you know the history, you'll start to go, so this is the reason why. We fought the war in Afghanistan. This is the reason why the war was lost, because it was by design. It's designed to decrease the morale, to make us more compliant. Because remember, what is compliance to the people in the World Economic Forum and the BIS? Compliance is the diet that authoritarians feed people they eventually want to control. That way, you will be happy about owning nothing, and you'll be smiling about it. And that's the situation that we're into right now. And Bitcoiners, in my view, are much more like a group of people like Benjamin Rush. They're much more like a group of the original colonists who understood why they fought King George. And the craziest part of this story, like the circle of life that I think Bitcoiners need to understand, the same people that try to screw us in 1775, 
are still doing it today. Now they have help of eight other families that are all tied to this global banking system, both the World Bank, the IMF, BIS, and the World Economic Forum. So anytime someone is out there who supports any of those institutions, you will see me, Tucson, on Twitter, lose my shit. Why? Because I want people in Bitcoin to understand the reason you own Bitcoin, the main reason is because you're shorting this cabal of criminals that you and I just laid out. Awesome. Yeah, that's a great explanation. And I've been I've been working on piecing all of that together uh, past, you know, couple of years um, diving into the history. And, it, you know, one of the things you outline, you know, very clearly is there's a huge difference between the history that we are taught and that is, you know, generally accepted and believed versus, <laughs> you know, what's. Well, you know where that goes? You know where that goes to Tucson? Because I, I don't know if you know. The story of Edward Bernays, but goes back to his book, book uh, Propaganda. I talk about this when I run Bitcoin rooms on Clubhouse all the time, uh, that people need to go back and read that 1928 book. It's basically, if you can change the collective mind, you can actually have control of them. Well, nobody believed that to be true, except Goebbels. And Goebbels took it to Hitler. And here's the ultimate irony of history. Here's a Jewish guy that wrote the book, who basically had that used to create genocide in Germany during a period of economic instability because of the Treaty of Versailles. And guess what? People always wanted to ask, how did the German people put their hands out like this and put handcuffs on it, let Hitler do what they wanted? That's actually the story that Bernays wrote. In other words, he gave them the plan to execute it. So if you could get people collectively to buy misinformation, you can get them to do anything. And the ultimate irony of this story uh, again, another full circle. This goes back thousands of years when Plato gave his allegory of the cave. And if you understand Plato's allegory of the cave, you don't need a gun to take someone's freedom from them. All you need to do is make them apathetic or nihilistic. And if you can create that in a group of people, they will put their hands out, put the handcuffs on, and be happy to stay in the cave looking at the shadow cast on the wall, believing that's reality. And ultimately, I always told the story in Clubhouse that Bitcoiners are the slave that broke free, went outside and saw that there's another world out there. And then he was faced with the moral dilemma. Do I just go and find other lions or do I go back in and try to help all the fiat shitcoiners and the altcoin shitcoiners? Do I try to help them see the bigger part of the story? And if you read... Plato's Allegory of the Cave, you'll find out that that slave that did find out the truth, when he went back into the, the cave, everybody had Stockholm Syndrome. They said, nah, thanks, but no thanks. And I think this feeds the narrative in the Bitcoin community. How, why is it so difficult for us to orange pill some people? This is the reason why. And it's, it's, a, it's a defect and actually how the human brain functionally works. Uh, it's not something that most people really understand until you tell them a story like you're asking me to tell your audience. Um, because when you see all the parts, it's like the tool song that says, you can't understand how something falls apart until you see how all the pieces fit. 
And the piece fits all the way back to Plato's idea. So we know that before there was great industrial powers that you really didn't need a gun to get people to submit. All you needed to do is make them apathetic, make them compliant at every level and make sure that every step of compliance is just a little bit worse than the, the last. And if you continue to do that over decades, you can be very successful in what the British Empire and now the World Economic Forum has done with the help of the world bankers. Now they're on the brink uh, of executing their plan. And the problem is our community, the Bitcoiners, are mimicking you know, the people that were in, that left England in 1770s. And we collectively have to think differently about them and we also have to fight them. I mean, you remember when you were in third or fourth grade, you heard about you know, how warfare was. The English wore the red coats so that people would see them coming. But we use that as an advantage to take them out. And what am I saying to everybody who's listening to this podcast? If you want to know how passionate I am about this, all of us need to become unmanageable for our government. Yes. Economically, financially, medically, I don't care which way it is. Anytime you see tyranny, you have to call it out. So that's why I appreciate you know, you invited me on your podcast to share these ideas because I'm hoping that there's other economic patriots out there that begin to understand that there's political fallout from this, but there's also medical fallout from this. You know, we're seeing the slow derision of our government being taken away by bankers who will stop at nothing until they get what they want to make sure that we're like pieces of corn in a ground that they can harvest for their own needs. Yeah, that's beautiful. We're definitely not going to comply our way out of this one. That's for sure. No way. Yeah. And that's something that I've been working on, uh, you know, pretty passionately is, you know, how do we become economically unmanageable and Bitcoin is so powerful in that regard. So there's been a lot of people that have been really upset recently with the vaccine mandates or with the lockdowns as a business uh, you don't have a lot of power to say no when the government can go in and take all your money out of your bank account. And as an individual, you're not very powerful if you don't have savings and, you know, Bitcoin fixes, you know, those two issues and empowers uh, businesses and individuals uh, at a, you know, in a way that's just amazing, uh, that we can start transacting with each other without having to be surveilled and, and ask for permission at the same level. Um, well, Tucson, you gotta, you gotta remember while, you know, I agree with you hundred percent, let's game theory this out. Cause I don't think a lot of Bitcoiners have done that yet. Uh, your, your premise to me is that we'll have something to transact for in a peer to peer system. What's the next step? Right now, we're going through this global energy problem in China, and now global supply chains are crashing. If, if you think that this is a consequence of something, it's not. It's part of the plan. Why? Because the next big thing that's going to happen, we're going to have cyber pandemics. We're going to have supply chains go so that you in Arizona are going to struggle to get water. You in Arizona are going to struggle to get meat. You in Arizona will struggle this, that, and the other thing. I'm going to struggle in my own way, but that's also part of the plan. Why? 
because they know we have Bitcoin and they want to make it so that Bitcoin doesn't matter. So if you don't have the things you need to live, ultimately Bitcoin doesn't matter. But you know what? The problem in the Bitcoin community is, and I hear this all the time on Clubhouse and in podcasts, people don't realize you can't live off of Bitcoin. You have to have the other parts of life that are really, truly important. That's the next step. That's going to be the next step in the compliance plan. And here's the key. When they ratchet those things down, the people that will get what they have is going to come down to a social credit score. They're going to say, oh, no, no. Tucson, Bitcoin, and Jack did a podcast. They can't have meat. You know, we, we're going to have to feed them soy burgers, you know, because we want to turn them into girly men. We want to make them more docile. Let me tell you, Tucson, Bitcoin, the same thing happened to the Germans before they killed the Jews. You know what they did to them? They gave them Stannis fluoride. You know what Stannis fluoride was? It was from the uh, chemical giants, A.G. Bear that knew when he gave fluoride to somebody, it made them more docile. So in other words, the Germans didn't have to fight with the Jews bringing them into the gas chamber. The same exact thing is going on. The mode of operandi obviously is different, but when you actually see it for yourself, you go, so this is why when, you know, American HODL is in a clubhouse room and he says, look, my young generation is apathetic. They're nihilistic. This is a big, this should be a big concern for guys like me and you, because you know what? We're seeing the exact same playbook play out. And the problem is you will only know what's going on if you're that slave that came out of the cave and realizes, you know what? This is a playbook from yesteryear. And now they're, they've got a 2021 version. And we need to realize what role we're playing in it. So I would tell you, Bitcoin. Being unmanageable means you need to make sure that the payment rails are in. Not only do you have the coin, but you need to be in a place that's sustainable. In other words, where you don't have to rely on the government for their supply chains. Maybe have a natural spring around you. Have the ability to grow things, you know, so that you'll be able to survive no matter what they try to do. And hopefully Bitcoin will provide you that opportunity for you to pick out a citadel that actually insulates you from the ideas of the BIS and the World Economic Forum. It's very, very important. Some of the things that we're seeing going on right now in El Salvador, they're actually making their determination. Hey, look, man, for 21 years, we've been dollarized. Uh, we don't control our currency. So whatever the global elites in D.C. do, we're subject to that. Maybe we need an outcard. Well, guess what? That's great. But here's the best news for El Salvador. They're way more sustainable than you are in Tucson. You're in the middle of the Sonoran Desert. You know, you can't live in Tucson. You can't live in Arizona long term if what I think is going to happen is going to happen, which is part of the reason why, you know, you said to me early before we came on, there's a lot of people in Arizona that wanted me to get you on the show. Maybe you can see why, because I can, I've been warning people in Arizona that, for literally seven to 10 years, you better have your house in order because what's coming, I don't think many people are ready for. Yeah. That's something that, you know, we've been working on down here is uh, trying to source food locally as much as possible and produce our own food and, and be 
you know, moving in that direction of self-sustainability as a community. And I think that's incredibly important with what they're, you know, ultimately going to do with, I mean, rationing is coming down um, the pike, you know, really, really soon is what I see. I agree with that. Yeah. I, I, I agree with that. I think the problem is when you have this discussion with people in the United States that live in, you know, big cities, they actually think this is crazy, but it's less crazy now than it was before because all of us saw what happened in New York City with COVID. Uh, and we now know that people are moving, you know, from California, Illinois to Texas and Florida. Why? Because that's where freedom is. In other words, that's where you want to get out. And, you know, I, I tell people in California all the time, the supply chain nightmare is right in Long Beach Harbor. You don't have to even get on the internet to see it anymore. You can go out to the beach and look outside and see 80 boats from Shanghai are out there. This is being done by design. And we're just starting. Look, COVID was the last two years. You're going to start to see rolling political, economic, and social upheaval for the remainder of the time. Like people keep talking about, dude, we, we got to print our way out of this. You're right. We're going to print our way out of it. But it's going to be at the same time where all these other things are going on. And these other things are going to go on to keep you focused on not what they're doing on the banking side. And eventually, as soon as they can take fiat money away and confiscate that, and give us a central bank digital coin, dude, that's when the plan is complete. Then they have total control of not only what you make, but what you spend your money on, then they can control what you get. They can control you by how you interact on social media, by what you say. This conversation that you and I are having, I envision in five or six years won't be possible. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. I'm uh, prepping to get banned <laughs> sooner than later. I mean, it's. A uh, I mean, I think I think we all have to do it. I can tell you in in my own uh, profession, I've already been warned by boards about um, being outspoken, how that's not doing us any help. I'm like, look, when I went to medical school, I had to take an oath that said, "Do no harm." When I see something that's a problem, I have a duty to say something. You know, and I've been saying things, Tucson, for 17 years. The problem was I was looked at as crazy bastard 10, 15 years ago. All of a sudden, the last three or four years, I don't look so crazy anymore. Everything that I've predicted that was going to happen has happened. And COVID has kind of pulled the sheet back, especially on the biologic side of the story. Little did I know um, that all the stuff that I've been teaching people about politics and economics also would come to a confluence where you'd see how health and wealth are fundamentally linked and how they can be used against us. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, have you done a lot of research into, you know, how terrible the food supply is and, and yeah, that's also by design, you know, who controls, you know, where that story began? Cause I'm, I'm not going to assume, you know, this stuff, but that began also at the same time with Kissinger and Schwab. Do you remember there was a, a Senator McCarthy, I'm not McCarthy, McGovern, who actually worked with Nixon in his administration. Nixon put price controls in, if you remember, with the Nixon shock. One of the things that Nixon 
was told by Kissinger that he should never accept a political loss over the cost of oil or food. So what did he do? He turned over to McGovern the dietary guidelines. The dietary guidelines in the 19 of the United States were begun in the Nixon administration. Do you know what that's morphed into today? It's morphed into today uh, two Harvard researchers who are now tied to something called the Eat Lancet trial. You can go and look any of this up. Every single one of them goes back to sustainable growing for the world to be vegan, back to the world economic forum. So for 50 years, food and dietary guidelines has completely followed the wrong path. Again, not because they're idiots, because they don't understand science. This has all been engineered by design. They began the same process with money and with food. And the problem is, I need all of you to see just how far back this spreads. Because when you do a cursory amount of work and you find out, well, who Walter Willett is, how he's linked to the Eat Lancet trial and how Eat Lancet was paid for by the World Economic Forum. And then you realize uh, why other Bitcoiners who have podcasts like Marty Bent has been hell bent about going after ESG narratives. Why? ESG narratives also come from the World Economic Forum. And, you know, that has extended to Bitcoin because of the energy FUD. Everybody needs to see these tentacles of the octopus where they all head back. And until you do, I think you're a Bitcoiner that's flying blind. Like in Clubhouse, we like to call on Bitcoin Twitter, we like to call people Bitcoin maximalists. I want to go to another level of Bitcoin maximalism. I call it Bitcoin foundationalism. Hmm. I think when you understand the foundations of how money health, food, energy have been destroyed from within by these people who infiltrated our government, then and only then will you have the modus operandi to listen to you know, a podcast like this and realize this is not being said to scare you. It's being said to you so that you're ready to play 4D chess when they start throwing the checkers at you. Yeah. I want people to be prepared. Yeah. No, it's, it's incredibly important. Uh, and I kind of have the same philosophy on a lot of these things of, you know, it, one of the, you know, big things I try and do with my, my podcast is just to help and, and just in general is to help people see that they're being victimized by the system and not that they're, you know, powerless in it, but that they do have power to step out of it and fight back. And, you know, they're like the slave in the cave. That's it. Your podcast that's that's why I enjoyed it. I remember I watched one that you did with Eric Kaysom, and I loved it. I absolutely loved it because I, I thought to myself when I listened to you two guys talk, I said, these are two lions. These are lions that Bitcoiners want to associate with. And, you know, you have your rep. Eric's got his rep. We all do our part. But lions need to come together. Um, to go through kind of what we're facing and whatever we can do to help other lions, dude, I'm a hundred percent behind. Yeah. What, what do you think um, is like some immediate immediate or immediate action that people can take that is meaningful right now? You're probably not going to like this one. I think um, the number one thing that I think I've been telling at least my tribe is that 
the state in which you live is a huge decision. I think that if you're in a state where you're 50-50 or close to 50-50 or you have the wrong governor in, what's getting ready to happen from 2021, probably for the next 10 years, you can't stay in that state because you're going to be subject to a lot of different problems. I don't, if you think that you can use your Bitcoin and you can be self-sustainable and you can navigate that, uh, even when you live in a bad state, more power to you. But I think you need to start thinking about your own, how shall we say, biologic rails. What's the smartest move for you and your family to get out? And you need to start looking at anchors in your life a little bit different. Like probably the number one anchor that I see is uh, it used to be jobs. COVID fixed that because people can work at home now and remotely. But now it's kind of like sick parents or sick family members. I think you've got to start getting to the point, and this is really uncomfortable for people to hear, that you have to start looking at anchors in your life and start dealing with them. Like have a plan to deal with it. Like we always talk about Bitcoiners dealing with estate planning and having that stuff um, in place. Nobody has a problem doing that. But I think we need to start doing that on our own side. I think we need to become hypermobile. I think we need to consider doing things that we haven't done before. Like if that, that may mean traveling to different parts of the world where we actually have more economic freedom to continue to persist, to do the things that we're all about. Do I also think that um, while doing this, that we need to become unmanageable for our government? Yes. Do I think politically we need to subtract all the things that separate us? You know, whether it's left, right, all that ideology, we need to have one single focus. It needs to be the orange pill party. In other words, we need to vote for people that only care about Bitcoin. And we need to put it to them. I think what we just went through with the infrastructure bill really showed the power of our community. And I think that we need that even bigger going forward. Like, for example, um, if you ask me my political uh, ideology, I'd say, I'm a libertarian, but if I broke it down between left and right, I'd say I'm a fiscal conservative and probably social liberal. So I'm kind of a unicorn. But um, I made a comment on Clubhouse, and I'll share it with you here, that when you see a guy like Brad Sherman in California, he's so anti-Bitcoin, and you now have Erica Rhodes running against him. Not that I think she has a chance to win, but she's a left-wing progressive that's made her case that she's behind Bitcoin. I can tell you if I was in that uh, rate uh, in that area, I would vote for Erica over Sherman because of her stance with Bitcoin. I think people in our community need to get to that point. They need to realize that some of the things that maybe they were taught by their mother and father to get behind aren't as important as getting behind the biggest property rights tool in creation to protect you from your government. Right now, um, I look at Bitcoin the same way that I think the colonists look at the ships that came over from England. And I don't think a lot of people in the Bitcoin community actually see it that way. I don't think they've been pushed as far as they're going to get pushed the next five, six, seven, or 10 years. And who knows? People may go back and listen to this podcast you know, down the road and say, damn, all the pieces and parts are there. Why didn't I listen? And that goes back to story I told you about the allegory of the cave. I will tell you that, in my opinion, within the Bitcoin community, especially the Bitcoin maxi community, 
I still think there's quite a few people that don't really see all these pieces and parts that you and I are talking about. I think they see Bitcoin specifically from an economic only view, you know, tied to the money printer and tied to the things that have gone wrong economically in D.C. I don't think they see the larger fabric that's really going on here. And that concerns me. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, going about any way possible to undermine their agenda is a productive action right now. And like, I mean, I just like look at the things in our in our society that are placed there to condition us. So like we've talked about, mentioned public schools a lot. And yeah, I mean. <laughs> those, are, those are little factories that, that train kids to be obedient idiots for the government. I mean, I, I've told everybody uh, this vaccine mandate, like if you, uh, this is a perfect example. How do you become un unmanageable for your government if you're a parent right now and have to face that? You basically homeschool your kids. And the people say, well, I can't homeschool because I have to work. I said, okay, take the people in your community who are also Bitcoiners who have spouses that stay home, organize a, ho a homeschooling thing. It's going to be hard to do in the beginning, but don't tell me you can't do it. Uh, you can. And then guess what? Then your kids don't have to participate in a government-sponsored uh, thing that's trying to herd the cows to slaughter. I mean, we're getting ready right now to approve kids to get this vaccine from 5 to 17 years old. And I promise you, Tucson, I'm serious about this. As a physician, this will go down as the Cutter Incident 2.0, as the biggest mistake that we're making in the 21st century to children. And you remember, they'll beg for forgiveness later, but this, if you're a parent right now and you're going to subject your kids to this, I think you need to employ the precaution principle. Do not go and take this injection. You, you wait for the aftermarket data. I always tell people that's what Procter & Gamble does. They don't care if they don't make the money on the front end because they know there's plenty of money to be made on the back end after something's been proven you know, efficacious and safe. Well, I don't think that we're there yet. The only people I can advocate taking this vaccine are the people that are over 70 years old who have medical comorbidities. The science there is good for those people. Everybody else, no way. No way at all. And my, I'm so deadly afraid for these kids because guess what? These are the kids of young Bitcoiners. These are the kids that potentially may be future leaders in this world. Hopefully that take over after this fourth turning is over and the new first turning, this is the generation that's gonna be the base level. To take them out or to turn them in to slaves for these people in the royal family, the people associated with the BIS, uh, all the banking families, dude, you've got to stand up and fight this. Absolutely. And that's something beautiful that we're seeing is there is a mass exodus from the public school system and even the private school system that, you know, is still subjected to a lot of this stuff. Like the, the homeschooling movement in Arizona is bonkers and it's fun to, you know, be on the periphery of that and support it as much as I can, but it's. Well, you know, I, I looked at, you know, some of the recent current events going on in Arizona. Those are instructive too. It's amazing to me that people left of left are going after a Democratic senator in terms of how you know, they treated 
cinema, and we know that cinema happens to be favorable for Bitcoin. Uh, again, she wouldn't have been my choice, but she is a Bitcoin supporter. Therefore, she's okay in my book. And you have to realize these left-wing uh, communists are trying to tear down the rule of law in your state. And they're, they're, the way in which they do it, there's no shame in their game. We've got to fight that at every level. And I, I don't know, you know, locally what's going on in every single state. I can tell you I follow state stuff on the biologic side because I have a lot of members in, in all over the world, not just in the United States. And I do happen to know a lot about Arizona on um, the biologic side. In fact, I would tell you one of your, your former senators who ran for president multiple times, he was probably one of the biggest problems that you could ever imagine on the biologic side. And that was McCain. Yeah, McCain. Um, he was a huge problem. And that problem has now been passed down you know, through the state legislature and some of the things that have been done and built there. And the problem is there's a lot of people that live in, you know, both Flagstaff, Scottsdale, Tucson, you know, Yuma, they don't realize some of the policies that were set down by McCain. They may have been good for Arizona, but they're now coming home to roost and they're going to be a problem. Uh, and they're going to be a really big problem when you understand like the 30,000 foot view that you and I are trying to explain right now, because your state is very dependent on supply chains, mm -hmm. extremely dependent. And it's one of the states that I, I do worry quite a bit a lot. Um, and I think uh, the people in D.C. have wanted that leaky southern border. Why? Because they knew that it would harm the state sovereignty over decades. That's exactly what's going on in California, New Mexico, Arizona, and parts of Texas. Um, and that, that has not changed. In fact, uh, since January, since Biden's come in, I think your state is, has seen that way more than the last administration. And anytime you destroy the fabric of a state, as far as I'm concerned, you're destroying you know, the constitutional republic. Yeah. Yeah, I totally see that. And that's something that, you know, I've unfortunately had to consider is the possibility of moving and kind of going back to what you were talking about is uh, looking at those those tethers and examining examining them, because at the end of the day, like the stakes are pretty high at what we're looking at here. It's either being stuck in slavery and compliance to a system that is evil and, and people that have no regard or you know pursuing freedom and, and and it's part of being a part of this bigger movement slash fight uh and kind of debating on whether it's worth you know carrying on you know when i look at this stuff the the only solution i really see to it is just non-compliance and not following it i agree with that 100 percent. i always tell people that compliance is the dietary habits of authoritarian that's actually the basis of fascism and, you know, fascism has uh, like many faces of death. Um, and unfortunately, when you equate the fascism that we're talking about with, say, 1930s Germany, it pisses a lot of people off. But you have to remember, 
The only reason it pisses them off because we know what the outcome was in Germany. We don't know what the outcome is here yet. And the thing is, when you do the retrospective on it, you're going to see the same things that happened in Germany happen here, but nobody called it out. And I always think every time I try to explain this to people, when they think this is hyperbolic speech, I always tell them, think about what Gandhi said, think back what Malcolm X said, and think about what Martin Luther King said. It's the people that remain silent when they see injustice that are the biggest problems. Always. And guess what? If you don't think we're not seeing that on Twitter, Facebook, and social media today, I, I don't I, I don't know what to do to help you. I just I kind of got to the point in my own life that I'm focusing on the lions and not on the sheeps. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree with that. It's I mean, kind of what you're talking about, the slave going back into the cave and trying to convince the people that are stuck there with Stockholm syndrome. I, I see that as kind of a missed opportunity a lot of times and, you know, going out and trying to reach these people and uh, that are aware of it. And like you said, go and go out and find the lions rather than the sheep. Well, all, all the people that are stuck in those, those holes are going to wind up on UBI. That's going to be part of the, the next phase of this economic reset. And the problem is those people will be okay with Netflix. They'll be very compliant. Their social credit score won't deride them. It's going to be the lions that have the big problem. This is the reason why I tell all lions that you really need to convert fiat to Bitcoin really well. And then you need to truly have a plan. Are you going to stay and fight in Arizona? Are you going to stay and fight in Florida? Are you going to stay and fight in the United States? Are you going to are you going to take the battle someplace where you can act completely free economically and then still try to fight the battle from abroad? Some people don't think that's an effective way of doing it just because we didn't do it in the Revolutionary War. Uh, I don't know if I believe that anymore. I believe there's so much power within the Bitcoin community that they can effectuate change uh, from outside the United States. Um, and uh, I, I would tell you that we have some really good allies in this battle already. You know, many people um, look at Jack Dorsey on Twitter as a problem because of censorship and freedom of speech. Most people don't know this, but Jack Dorsey happens to be my friend. Um, he also happens to follow all my stuff on the biologic side. And I can tell you that what Twitter does is not tied to the CEO. It's tied to the activist investors and the activist board members that sit below him. The one thing I'm going to tell you about him, why he is a big lion, he owns Square, and there he has 100% say. And he's 100% Bitcoin, and he is totally a Bitcoin foundationalist. And if you listen to him at Bitcoin Miami, you heard what he said. He's about helping little people gain time, value, and freedoms back. That is decidedly not the brush that people that are tied to the World Economic Forum and the BIS want to paint uh, Dorsey with. And I'm just going to tell you, he's been a champion for Bitcoin for a really long time. He's a champion of Lightning. Lightning is the payment rails that we all need that will eventually drive Bitcoin adoption. I think what we need to do instead of tearing people down and worrying about the warts they have, just like people are doing with Buclay and El Salvador. 
or any of the other people out there. If you're for Bitcoin, even if I don't like you, Tucson, I'm still going to support you. Yeah. I became a big fan of Dorsey recently when he tweeted out Anatomy of the State. That's all it took for me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's big. That's what I'm telling you. He's, he's a different kind of cap. And remember, when you're a great white shark and you're swimming in a pool of megalodons, you have to be very careful about how you interact. And I would say the same thing to you with your tribe and the people that listen to you. I've been warned in my tribe, but most of the stuff that I teach people are behind paywalls. They're behind paywalls, not because I'm trying to make a ton of money off people because I'm not. It's because they're coming after me. They're trying to muzzle me. I've already had, you know, the FBI at my uh, door multiple times in the last 15 years. I don't anticipate that going away either. Why? Because when you're hitting close to the matter, what do authoritarians do? They want to censor you because they're afraid of what you might say, and it might wake up some of the sheep that they have spent decades in building so they could harvest from them. That's effectively what the slaves in that cave are for the global elitists that we talked about at the beginning of this hour. Yes. Yeah. I, I predict it getting pretty ugly. And it's definitely something I think about a lot is just how it may escalate to that point where that is. Well, I think, I think if you're in the wrong place, like if you're in a big city, I think it's a huge problem. I think population density is something that you probably should stay away from. I think the other thing is um, be careful who you share your information with, because now we live in a world where there's a lot of Karens out there that would have no problem say, Hey, Tucson didn't take the vaccine. And, Tucson eats more meat than anybody I know. So, you know, maybe we need to do something about him. That kind of stuff started in Germany too. You know, just, and it all started just when, you know, you just had to show your papers. Well, guess what? To go eat a, a Big Mac or Burger King in New York City right now, you have to show papers. And it's amazing to me how many people, even on Clubhouse, don't think that these things are congruent at all to what happened the last time we were at the end of a debt cycle. People forget that all this stuff in Germany occurred at the end of the last debt cycle. We are currently in the next debt cycle. And the same thing that happened then is happening now. The only difference is the paint on top of the painting is a little bit new, different colors, you know, different pattern. But the ultimate story is still there. Absolutely. 100%. So you accept Bitcoin in your business. Um, Correct. How has that been uh, setting that, that up and operating that for yourself? It's been, it's been a pain, of, pain in the ass, but I'll tell you, it's become a little bit easier probably the last two or three years because we also decided to start um, changing our tact uh, when El Salvador went online, where now We'll take uh, fiat and then we can convert fiat to Bitcoin immediately. I'm thinking about setting up a complete new business in El Salvador. Why? Because I'm unconstrained uh, in terms of how I run that business between the two currencies. 
which is uh, a pretty good thing. Um, I also believe that uh, right now, um, from my perspective, you're probably freer economically in a place like El Salvador. The problem I have with Bukle, my personal problem, is that he embraces too many of the biologic stories of the World Economic Forum. That concerns me. And not only that, I know the history of Central and South America with their leaders. They can change on a moment's notice. So you have to be careful about things like that. I am much more concerned currently that the political leadership that is up in Washington, D.C. is far worse than what Bukle represents right now. I've actually mentioned that even to Alex Gladstein. And I'm just amazed to me, while his focus is always outside the United States, I think I'd like to see him spend a little bit more time dissecting truly um, what the current regime is doing. Like, for example, we didn't talk about this, but I've brought this up in a couple of clubhouse rooms. The lady that uh, Biden just uh, nominated to take over the OCC, the Office of the Control of Currency, is about as communist as communists can get. It's actually stunning that she was put on there. And I've made the comment multiple times that I believe this is a precursor to getting rid of Powell in February, because ultimately I think they want to put Lyle Brainerd in so that that completes the leftward agenda. Uh, and I think the only, really the only hope for anybody, if any of this stuff does come through fruition, uh, is that the 2022 midterms, dude, we need, we need uh, to take the power away from Biden uh, through Congress. And, and we have to stop the rubber stamp for increasing the debt ceiling. We have to uh, take away or limit some of the things that are put in this infrastructure bill. They're devastating. They're, and not only that, they're going to change the fabric of the United States, and they're actually going to make it and facilitate some of the plans that you know the World Economic Forum and the BIS have for us. And it just pains me as a boomer to realize that guys in your generation and guys below you just are not getting all how these pieces fit. They think that this is hyperbole. They think that this stuff doesn't matter. They think if they just fix money, it'll fix everything else. It, it, this, this plan that they have is far bigger than that. I don't think that people understand that what the global elites went through in World War I and World War II, they are looking to pay the people back who won big time. And the people who won big time there was the American government and the American people. And they are going to do everything they possibly can to level that playing field. And World War III is being waged right now. It's a technologic and information war uh, that's ongoing constantly. If you want to see the battles, just sign on to Twitter. Yeah. Yeah, I've definitely been wondering if Powell is kind of a fall guy, useful idiot to get them where they want. It's interesting. Kind of like, like uh, the guy they blamed for shooting Kennedy. That's exactly how I feel. And I also feel the same way about Biden. I don't think it's Biden that's the problem. We know his uh, congressional history. He was a moderate Democrat. He's no longer. I mean, literally from Obama on, he's been pushed left of left. 
And he is truly now the next version of the Manchurian candidate. He, he mimics a lot of what you saw in Gerald Ford. Uh, he mimics a lot of what's president in Carter. Um, I'm going to tell you that uh, I think people need to realize, I think that's the reason why Kamala Harris was picked. And I think when the House of Cards falls down, like when we're several steps of this compliance plan down the road, I can see a time where we won't have Powell. We'll have a 25th Amendment on Biden. We'll have Harrison. Harris will be blamed. And then the next thing that we get after that is even worse than all of this. Why? Because they're going pedal to the metal. Every time you give an authoritarian an inch, they look to take a yard. And the problem is it's not going to stop until something stops it. And these global elitists saw just how far Hitler was able to get uh, from 1929 to 1945. And they think they can do the same thing without making the mistakes that Hitler made. That's, that's the true pathology of the authoritarians that are in now. They believe they have so much power and money that they can't be stopped. And what I'm here to say is I think that when you're an American taxpayer and you have enough powder in Bitcoin, you need to start looking at how you're going to use that Bitcoin to protect your citadel. If you want to stay and fight the fight like the colonists did, I think you can do that, but you better have a plan. You better not come to this battle and say, hey, look, I got all this Bitcoin in this wallet. That ain't going to work. We need to do better. We need to truly be Bitcoin foundationalists and fight for the freedom, the time, and the value that we all had. That's why all those people died in World War II. Those 408,000 Americans died. They died for us to have the world we had from 1945 until 1971. I think all of those soldiers would probably turn over in their grave if they would have saw what their sacrifice What's been done with it from 1971 to right now? Yeah. Kind of switching gears a little bit. What, what's what got you hopeful going forward is like looking at all of this stuff. Guys like you, guys like your audience. Um, I love seeing young people that are candles. A guy like me who's an old guy, you guys look at, uh, my generation is part of the problem. But one of the things that you don't understand, I've seen and been fucked by the government longer than you have. So when I come on a podcast like, like this, nothing diminishes me when I share my flame with your candle. And I want you to carry it on. I want you to continue to reach people. I want to see you do more podcasts with guys like Eric that, that give the cyberpunk foundation where this comes from but i want you to keep adding muscles to the skeleton tendons and ligaments so that the kids that are 18 and 19 years old that now think dogecoin's a good idea grow into an understanding of truly how bitcoin can bring them back to militiamen in those colonies to reclaim you know their power so that they're not apathetic they're not nihilistic so that they will never be subject to authoritarians in their life. That's what makes me happy. And I know there's enough of you out there. The problem is, I don't think you're as mad as I am. I want you to be even madder. I don't want you to stop. 
you know, I'll, I'll, I'll give you, uh, I probably shouldn't say this, but I'm going to. We'll see your reaction. Probably the most famous podcaster in the Bitcoin world saw fit to roll up his sleeve and take a vaccine. That's not a fucking Bitcoin maximalist, my friend. That's somebody who's willing to comply. That tells me that's somebody who gets Bitcoin and Bitcoin only. And it, it doesn't make sense to me to understand the framework that you and I have talked about. The framework that you and I have talked about, um, that's not the way it goes. And the funny thing is, I've often thought about this. Did that really happen because of the country he comes from? Was that the mindset that he had? Because effectively, they ceded control to the United States in the early part of the 20th century. So why not do it again? I think that's a message that'll be very unpopular for people to hear. And you want to know the truth, Tucson? I could give two fucks what people think. Why? Because I'm madder than hell. I want people in this country, our country, to push back at every level where they see tyranny in any format. I want them to become unmanageable. And I think there's a lot of you out there. That's what makes me hopeful. That makes, that makes me very optimistic. I'm not pessimistic in this battle at all. I know that the young people out there now have a tool to fight back against these global elitists. My, you know what my worry is? I wanna make sure that you use the tool properly. What good is having a nuclear weapon and using it like Truman did. All it did was create more problems because it was used inappropriately. Guess what? Bitcoin is your nuclear weapon. I want to see you use it properly. Love it. Yeah. Oh, I'm pretty pissed too. I am. I at the beginning of the year, or beginning of the pandemic, I would have called myself a classical liberal. And I was mildly pissed. Um, I uh, saw the impacts of the fiat monetary system on my community and what that was doing. But yeah, kind of piecing together the other parts that we've been talking about of the these maniacs in positions of power are truly evil and have no regard. Uh, and you know, watching you know people in my family and you know, my friend circles being compliant and in effect supporting them, you know, in their endeavors is infuriating. And it is. Well, it, it brings the brings us back to the allegory of the cave. And I think it's true when you when you see it's one thing if it's other slaves, but dude, when it's your own family and your own friends, that is that is killer. I know, I know, trust me, not that I want to go into it here with you. Those are the, the cuts that go the deepest for me as well like watching like they're the capos in the concentration camps pretty much totally i mean that's part of the reason why it's kind of funny that you and i came together because people in arizona reached out to you uh that makes me feel good because you know what it tells me that prior to me and you meeting here that the story that i've been spreading for 15 years is resonating everywhere and i look at the story that i've been resonating in biology is now additive to the Bitcoin story. And hopefully that wave, we keep everybody 
through their actions and their beliefs adds to the power of that Bitcoin wave. That Bitcoin wave, hopefully, will absolutely, via molecular resonance, destroy everything in Washington, D.C. that props the system up. Yes. That's what gets me super excited is because I, I just struggle to see how Bitcoin and the state are going to coexist in its current form. I just Well, it's not. That's part of the reason why they're fighting back about it now. I mean, you saw that in the infrastructure bill. I mean, look what, look what you saw Elizabeth Warren and then Yellen come out just the other day when she was on TV. They actually said publicly to all of us, oh, yeah, we're OK with a wealth tax. We're OK stealing your money from you you know, with unrealized capital gains. The only people that can get behind that message are people who are fucking communists. But guess what? They believe they have created enough of those people. This is where it goes right back to Ann Ryan's book. When she warned people, when you get apathetic enough, this is the field that the communists can come and harvest. We're there, dude. We got too many people that are into drinking lattes watching Netflix and say, hey, just give me my UBI and I'm good. Almost, I hate to tell you, that's the real reason we have trouble orange filling people. Because they're like, what do I need Bitcoin for? I got a money printer that's going on and I'm good. I don't need, I don't need any of this. This is what makes your podcast, this is what makes Bitcoin maxis and Bitcoin foundationalists passion so great. Because... Some way, somehow, collectively, um, we've got to get to those people. Uh, there's a great book, Tucson. I don't know if you've ever read it. It's called um, They Thought They Were Free. It's written by a guy named Milton Meyer. If, if you're a Bitcoiner, I'd strongly recommend you read it. There's a passage in the book where he, he's talking about the people of Germany that are going through what you and I are going through with Bitcoin right now and say, what do I have to do to wake my sleeping family up and this and that? And the passion in the book is the people in Germany and the Jews all thought that some big thing was going to happen where people would wake up and they'd get saved. And the story of 1930s and 1940s Germany is it never came. In fact, the really sad part of the story is in 1944, when both Russia and the United States were in Germany, and we actually got definitive proof of what Germany was doing to the Jews, people couldn't fathom it. And it's what you just said a little while ago. When you see the depravity of what these people are, just remember the people that are performing this economic reset now are the same people that funded the Third Reich. Okay, same people. Yeah, a lot of people, I think, need to know that. But yeah, I mean, I, my, my stance is like, if you're not awake yet, nothing will wake you up. I agree. And I agree. That's part of the reason why I think we need lions. Yeah. You know, that's why I wanted to come on. I have to tell you, your interview with Eric Kaysan was fucking spectacular. It was great. And to see Eric there, you know, my, you know, the sad part, not that, not that there is a sad part. I think Eric, since he was out there in the beginning, he's now in the background a little bit. He's, he's much more quiet than he used to be. 
Hopefully you get him a message. Hopefully he listens to this. Tell him that these Lions need him. We need him back in the game. It's almost like, you know, Top Gun. Re-engage, bro. It's time. This, all the stuff that you were fired up about 10 years ago, it's game time. He's, he's one of my all-time favorites, uh, for sure. I think it's just, yeah, I, I think he'll be remembered uh, in history as a very influential person in his writings and thinkings. And No doubt. That, that's something that's interesting, you know, to think about is kind of like looking at our legacies. And this is something, you know, my as awful as the experience was, um, it was a very uh, powerful experience, you know, watching my father die when I was young and uh, looking at the legacy that he left behind uh, in the people's lives that he touched was such a powerful, fun, you know, uh, experience as like a 15 year old kid to, to see that. And that's something I think about on a regular basis today is it's, you know, we're a part of something bigger and the interactions that we have today are incredibly important and need to be evaluated. And it's a question that I, you know, mull over quite a bit. And I think is an important question that a lot of people don't consider is like, am I one of the good guys? Am I on the right side of history? And, you know, with Bitcoin, it, I think it's something that we have to, you know, consider on a regular basis. And it can be easy to just like, say like this is a you know inherently good thing but i think it's something we have to come back to and reevaluate and you know i'm fairly confident today that this truly is you know the right side of history and well the way the way in which you frame that is good because basically what you just told the audience that you're willing to go back and challenge what you believe that that means that you're willing to solve your own own dunning kruger moment which is huge that tells you that you're a good critical thinker that, believe it or not, Tucson, that's what I've tried to build in my tribe on the biologic side. I want them to begin to think about things that really are affecting them that they keep missing. And the same thing is true with Bitcoin. I agree with you. I think when it comes down to it, when you look at Bitcoin and you look at mitochondrial medicine, why they marry for me, two main things. It's the only thing I know that gives you freedom and time back. And, you know, at least in my profession, when someone has a brain tumor and they're willing to let me cut their head open and put uh, some kind of chemicals in there, give them three or four months just so they can see their their granddaughter or their their grandson to, to graduate from high school or college, you believe, you, you get the idea that time is the most valuable asset we have. And, and it's true. And that is buried deep within the algorithm of Bitcoin. That's what the difficulty adjustment's all about. So the correlates between biology and Satoshi Nakamoto's white paper are there, but anything that gives us back time and freedom is something worth fighting for. That's the way I look at it. Yeah, that's amazing. That's beautiful. Um, yeah. Uh, where, where are some good places people can follow your work and kind of get connected with you? Well, the easiest way, if you liked anything you heard in this podcast, you can probably get on Twitter. That's free. You know, Dr. Jack Cruz. Um, my last name is spelled K-R-U-S-E. Um, you can find me on Instagram. Same thing. I use the same name everywhere. If you're interested in my writings, both on Bitcoin and on biology, some of them are for free on my website, 
which is jackcruz.com. I have a form there that you can read them. If you're interested in my uh, new stuff, which is really heavily focused on Bitcoin and in mitochondrial biology, it's on Patreon. So it's patreon.com backslash Dr. Jack Cruz. And for those of you who don't like to read, that you like videos, um, I'm involved uh, with a, a TV program called Quantum Health TV, where I teach people in about half hour segments, all different processes about biology and actually how health and wealth fundamentally link. And believe it or not, there's a couple of shows on there also tied to Bitcoin that I think people would probably be into. I've written tons of free blogs on LinkedIn. Again, Dr. Jack Cruz. Um, I'm trying to think, is there any other social media platform? I forgot. I, I used to do a lot of stuff on Facebook, but kind of got away from it. But you can still find me on Facebook at uh, Dr. Cruz uh, on Facebook and also my Cruise Longevity Center that's based in Destin, Florida. Um, on my own website, I have a form. If you go and read that form, there's enough data there to keep you busy for 10 years, my friend. Um, there's a ton of stuff there. So I have a book that's on Amazon. It's called the EpiPaleo RX. It talks about where medicine went off the rails with McGovern and the Eat Lancet stuff. Gets into that whole story if you're interested in uh, why food is really an economic problem as well. Um, but I've spoken all over the world. I've done close to a thousand podcasts. Most of the podcasts I've done have been on biology. Um, but a lot of them in the last two years, obviously, have been on Bitcoin. And, you know, I look forward to doing podcasts because I think this is an opportunity for us to like, I can bring my audience to you, your audience to me, and people can understand kind of how we mesh. And like I said, if you're on Clubhouse, come find me. I'm usually in a Bitcoin room, usually a moderator. Sometimes I run my own rooms when I run my own rooms. I'm talking big time about biology versus just Bitcoin. Most of the time on Clubhouse, people like my uh, my takes because I'm big into macroeconomics, which I think you found out today. Oh no, I've I've listened to you talk quite a bit on Clubhouse, so I'm familiar with uh, your take on macroeconomics and following the bond market. So correct, yeah, um, uh, that's that's like one of my passions, and I love teaching. Bitcoiners, you know, stuff about conventional markets and, and how it will affect, you know, Bitcoin price action and also uh, what Bitcoin's likely to face where we are in the halving cycle. Yeah. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun stuff. I, actually, you were probably my first uh, introduction to getting into the understanding bonds a little bit. Well, that's cool. I'm yeah. glad to hear that. Yeah, I, I used to lurk quite a bit on uh, clubhouse and i i haven't been recently because i've been trying to put out as much content as possible but yeah it's uh that was a fun stretch for a little bit yeah well, i i think it i think it's going to get more interesting as time goes on because i think uh i think the the macroeconomic story is going to change tremendously in the next two years when we get to the, the next halving like six months before the next halving uh, I think the next two years are going to be the wildest ride politically, economically, and socially this country has ever seen. It, it actually may rival what we saw in the 1960s. Yeah. 
I'm ready for it. I, I'm one of those people that, I don't know, I guess I thrive in chaos or kind of am. Uh, Me too. Prone towards. I, love, I, I, I believe that Bitcoiners, just like I call my biology guys that follow me, black swan mitochondriacs. And the reason I call them black swan mitochondriacs because they look for the things that are rare in nature that make sense. And if you think about it, a black swan event is a chaotic event. And people who truly have a good foundation in, in critical thinking always do well in chaos. Like I, I tell my biology people that one of the things that we learned from the military is the people who survive are always the people that make the right first decision. And for your podcast, I think the one thing you and I probably agree on, the, the right first decision is getting off zero and buying Bitcoin. If you understood what you and I have just been talking about for an hour and a half, you have to get off zero. Now, is that the whole story? No, it's going to turn out some of the other things that you probably need to do down the road are going to be important, but just make sure you make the first proper decision and have enough air in your life raft for the shit storm that's getting ready to come to us from politics and and social media networks yeah it's gonna well i'm looking forward to getting uh my uh social media um kick or ban eventually (laughs) it's a badge of honor yeah we'll be i mean it's one of the things that has me hopeful is like central planning always fails because it's working directly against nature and you know, we, we've already seen it when they kick people off the social media platforms, they lose control over them and they're able to build out their own separate audiences and, and parallel systems outside of their control. And I think, you know, what we're going to see is the harder they push, uh, the more, uh, it, you know, people are going to start operating outside. And, you know, one of the things is like, I think we all just have to learn to be comfortable with this idea that we're all criminals and we're all, you know, wrong thinkers and we're all, you know, whatever the, the bad slogan of the day is. I would tell you, I, I would tell you that the perspective, it makes your, your listeners feel better. We're criminals in terms of the perspective for the federal government. But what I would say is all of us, we're not the criminals. Mm-hmm. They're the criminals. But this is what this gets to the core of what Malcolm X really said in the 60s and that the media can be used to do and say things that you just don't expect. Um, in other words, they can make the good guy the bad guy and the bad guy the good guy. And nobody really understood what he was saying in the 1960s. But it's a huge factor. And I remember, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was in 68, he said the media was the most powerful entity on earth. And he said this as a black man who was militant in the middle of the civil rights movement. And he's, I'm going by memory because I remember watching this on TV when I was in New York City. He said they have the power to make the innocent guilty and make the guilty innocent. And that's power because they control the minds of the masses. When he said that, it immediately took me back to the Bernays book in 1928. 
And he went on to say that the press was so powerful in its image-making role that could make a criminal look like he's the victim, make the victim look like he's the criminal. And that mimics exactly what you just said in this podcast about that you have to be okay being a criminal. I said it differently earlier, but I want you to be unmanageable for your government. But I guess the take-home message between Tucson, Jack, and Malcolm X is, if we're not careful, the newspapers, mainstream media, social media will have us hating the people who are being oppressed and loving the people who are doing the oppressing. Yeah. 100%. And that, that's why I'm so passionate about becoming the media and, and shifting that paradigm. And it's that's that's what your podcast is all about, dude. No doubt about it. It's it's beautiful. Um, you know, all that you know, there's some really good Bitcoin content creators out there that I, you know, try to support as much as I can because you know, we we do have a lot of power and it, it's just another part of you know entering into this in, information war and you know, equipping the people that matter with the right tools. No, I agree. It's, it's even part of the reason why I've, I've been given a pass to some of the people, you know, in the Bitcoin podcast community who I fundamentally don't agree with on a lot of things, but as long as they keep pushing the Bitcoin narrative, I think I'm okay with it. But I just like, just like when we're in clubhouse and we say, Hey, look, let's not support blue clay because you know, he can turn on us. I'd say the same thing about people who are right now are considered friends of the Bitcoin maximalist movement yeah. that you don't know who's the next Roger Ver. Yep. You just don't. And you got to be mindful of that. Yeah. No, I think that's a great point. And it's something that I appreciate so much about the Bitcoin community is there, there's not as much emphasis put on hierarchy when you get down with the, uh, toxic plebs i think people that are just chasing the price going up will you know freak out about you know george soros just said he likes bitcoin or you know whoever um but you know everything is built on reputation and the reputation can be lost you know really quick and that uh puts a giant emphasis on uh being accountable and and having integrity you know in the things that we do and say and you know, that's so contrary to the fiat system and how it is. Yeah. Well, that's one of the things I love about the Bitcoin space. Not only that, they also, they don't have a problem with someone who comes in and kicks the door in. Why? Because I think most of them are lions and lions understand that sometimes chaos is needed um, to make sense of the, the current milieu that we're going through yeah and you know if we happen to wake up some sheep great but you've got to always be true to your principles um you know the sad part is some of the stuff that we've talked about in the podcast like malcolm Epps, gandhi and and you know you think about martin luther king they were killed or derided for most of their life for what they believed in but they didn't back down you know, they were willing to lay down the law to do what they do. I wonder, I often wonder when I listen to podcasts or when I'm clubhouse, and I listen to what other mods are saying. 
are they willing to do the same thing? Are they willing to pick up their fancy life in New Jersey or North Carolina, you know, or Nevada and pick up and take the fight in a different way? I don't know. But every one, every one of us have a role to play. And like you said, supporting people who are breaking the narratives on social media. Sorry about that. No worries. Uh, those things are important, you know, really important. Um, I, I, I don't know. I don't know um, if there's a game plan for everybody to draw from. I, I personally think it's, we all have our N equals one. We're all good at certain things and bad at others. But I think when we come and do stuff like you and I are doing today and we share ideas, it gives people the opportunity to kind of see how you think about things. And I think that's one of the really cool things. I actually think I heard American Hoddle say it yesterday. He goes, in the old days of Bitcoin, you go on Reddit and you read people's takes and that gave you an ambient awareness of kind of what they were about. But on Clubhouse, the interesting thing is, he goes, you hear the same words, he goes, but the difference is you hear the tone, the inflection, and you can hear the passion and he goes, and that kind of gives you a different level of understanding of what that person is. And I personally think that podcasts do the same thing. Like when you have an opportunity to come on someone's show and talk about like how you see Bitcoin, how you see it tied into health, and you take that journey and you carefully listen to what the other person's asking you, I think the benefit to the audience is big. And I think I've learned that lesson quite a bit, you know, just being in clubhouse, you know, and sharing the stage with other people. Cause there's a lot of times people say stuff in there not just stay silent. Why? Cause you know, I don't agree with it. And sometimes it'll even make me go start another room and tell people, I don't believe that shit, you know, and I don't want to piss in anybody else's cornflakes and call them out, but I want the lions that are with me to understand why I have a problem with that. And I want to explain it. Because I know that the tribe that listens to me, if they got a problem with me and they think that maybe I'm off base, they're going to tell me. And, you know, it's a two-way street. Teacher and student has to be a two-way street. Because if you're not listening to the people that you're trying to educate, then you're not functionally a good leader. A good leader makes other leaders. That's, that's the case. Love it. Well... I really appreciate you coming on. It's an awesome conversation. No problem. I mean, I was, I was very happy to uh, do this. Uh, like I said, I was so impressed with your interview with Eric. You know, I dropped a couple of comments on there. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep fighting the good fight. And uh, it was my pleasure to come spend, you know, a little bit of time with you and share with you, you know, a little bit of my history and how, I fell into Bitcoin and how it ties to health. Awesome. Yeah, that was an awesome conversation. A big thank you to Dr. Cruz for coming on the podcast. Been a big fan of him for a while. Uh, I've definitely, you know, listened to him talk all over the place. And uh, yeah, we'll continue to do so. But yeah, 
we have to make tyranny more expensive. And I, I think one of the things that's really powerful right now is what we're building with the meetup scene, where we're getting people together that see these issues and are trying to opt out. And from those meetups is gonna spring a lot of different cool things. But I think it's important right now to go into you know different circles that are, understanding or a little bit more awake of the problem you know i've talked to so many people that you know get tired of trying to orange pill the lemmings at work and you know that's fair it's kind of a waste of time a lot of people don't want to take responsibility for their lives and a lot of people don't want to face the issues that we're seeing today and you know it's kind of a waste of time to explain to somebody like, like what we we're talking about you know, with Plato's allegory of the cave, they're stuck in the cave and, and they have the Stockholm Syndrome. They they don't want to go and step out in the light and that's a waste of time. But going into the communities of people that see the problem are more awake and are more prone to doing something about it, I think is powerful. That's a big part of why I'm a part of the Libertarian Party uh, and, you know, part of the Mises Caucus is like there's a lot of people that have read Rothbard, have read Mises, know that the system is just ridiculous uh they see the issues today and uh you know a lot of them just haven't been exposed to bitcoin and it you know regardless of whether they get uh involved with bitcoin or interested in it they're they're the allies that i think we need to have and you know jack was talking about he supports anybody that uh values bitcoin i su i support people that value freedom and that doesn't mean that i'm not going to call out people for being scammers and 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 you know whatever else like but you know the people that we want in our corner right now are, are people that are not mindless lemmings and they're not going to be the capos in the concentration camps like we want people uh that are moving into more of a sovereign minded lifestyle that value individual freedom and there's a lot of us out there we're just kind of scattered and that's okay uh but yeah building these small communities together to stand up against you know what's already happening what's going to come is incredibly important i'm excited about that october 26th we're going to be having a meetup in scottsdale arizona uh brian harrington is coming out from choice uh which is an awesome bitcoin company that helps people uh move their money that's tied up in you know stupid assets into real assets like bitcoin and you can even self-custody it and you can do that with out you know all the tax penalties and i i just think it's one of those awesome loopholes that um has been found to help people get onto life raft i'm excited about it uh but yeah anyways we're gonna have a good time up there i hope to see everybody and yeah have a good one